Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shergill. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, and welcome back to the show. Andres, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Good. I'm excited to continue our conversation that we had earlier about nutrition now and how it affects our sex life and sex drive in general. The big one. Yeah, this seems like a topic to pretty unpack because it seems like when it comes to nutrition, there's so much information out there that it versus the grocery stores versus what's actually healthy for us. So it's a lot to go in between. Absolutely. It's uh, it, the amazing thing is everywhere you see uh, advertising, even grocery stores, like you just mentioned, you always see all these wonderful, beautiful, colorful plants, all these vegetables that look all healthy and amazing. And then you go into this supermarket and then you have a whole variety of things that are completely unhealthy for us. So it's amazing how, how the industry even uses nutrition to, to, to drive us in and then sell us something completely different. Well, that's, yeah, even some of the branding names, it will say things like organic nutrition, but those are just actually the names of the companies that I found out. They're not actually what's in the product itself. Oh, for sure. It's uh, the companies use any method they can to, to promote health uh, through their products, even if their products are not healthy. It happens all the time. Yeah. So from your experience, what would you say is the most damaging thing that we consume that affects our sex life and sex drive, I guess? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> it's a question that, that most people don't want to hear the answer to, actually. Um, and the truth is that animal products, animal products of any kind, whether it's fish, chicken, red meat, white meat, eggs, dairy, especially dairy, all those things are actually designed for for living organisms to survive off of right um of course we have in nature carnivores and and omnivores animals that eat, eat both animals and plants but most animals would do really well on a complete plant-based food now you asked what what is the most damaging for our body studying medicine some of the things that we reviewed and and learned about was our vascular health the cholesterol plaques, the atherosclerosis, or the damage that our body, our vascular system goes through throughout our lives. And really, there's never really too much focus about where that stuff comes from. But we know that it's cholesterol. We know that cholesterol is what gets stuck in our arteries, just like the sewage system in, our, in, our, uh, in a city. When you put fats down the sink, they end up collecting around the sewage system and destroying the sewage system. And so, and you get flooding and, and, and issues with plumbing. That's exactly what happens in our body. As we put those things inside, it destroys our own plumbing, our own vascular system. And, uh, and over time, you know, we're used to thinking about our vascular system as, you know, the large arteries, the medium arteries and the small arteries that kind of keep our body pumping. But the truth is that those arteries are really just... 10% of our entire vascular system. 90% of our vascular system is composed of those tiny microscopic little arteries, capillaries, those tiny little fragile blood vessels that actually are in contact with every cell in the body. Oh, and wow. there's very little, yeah, there's very little, there's little, very little clinical data or very few studies 
that actually appreciate what happens to that microvascular system, those tiny little arteries throughout our body as we start to consume all these, all these things that destroy it, especially cholesterol. Um, there's, there's good reason to believe that throughout our lives, we start to lose that microvascular system, those tiny little arteries because of the destruction that our body goes through. And then we end up losing the ability to deliver nutrients throughout the body, exchange oxygen and pull toxins out of the body. And that is the most dramatic effect that our body goes through throughout our lives. Uh, the one thing that we don't realize is that as we start to change and as our, our body starts to deteriorate, we, we constantly gain a new baseline of function. And so we don't even realize how much less efficient our body is, how much more, how much less functional our body is as we age. We always, every day, we just reach a new baseline of function that's slightly lower than the day before. And we, wow. and it's easy, it's easy to, it's easy to kind of assume that everything's going great. You know, we, a lot of times we go to the doctor, they, they do a stress test or some vascular study. They look at our arteries and they say, oh, everything looks great. Your arteries are still open. Keep doing what you're doing. And we'll just keep watching you. In the meantime, take some hypertension pills, take some cholesterol pills, and we'll go from there. Right. Unfortunately, unless we take out the things that are destroying our body, it will continue to deteriorate. And so, so taking medication, whether it's for hypertension, high blood pressure, or, or cholesterol or diabetes, these are all just band-aids. They don't actually address what's really going on in our body and what we really need to pay attention to in order to stay healthy and regain the function that we may have lost. Wow. So when it comes to meat and dairy, I've also heard things that they can affect our mood. If you eat too much meat, I'm not sure if that's something that you can comment on or if you know anything about, but I have heard that quite a few times. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely something that uh, plays a role in our overall brain health. You know, the, the classic statement of you are what you eat uh, really holds true. And, uh, and it's unbelievable how, how accurate that statement is. When we consume animal products, we actually decrease how well our brain functions because of the excess acid that's produced in our body from the from the from from using protein as energy to to how much <clears throat> to how much uh, actual oxygen and nutrients we're, we're able to deliver to the brain uh, goes down uh, so you know we have the, the every living thing evolved to use our primitive response mechanisms most animals in the environment use primitive response mechanisms to survive. Things such as, you know, consumption, anger, greed, violence, jealousy, uh, a sense of, of not knowing what's coming the next day. These are all mechanisms that help living things survive when, when there's not enough food around, when you're in a very aggressive environment. But human beings evolved executive functions, higher level functions that, that include things like compassion, innovation, imagination, empathy, a uh, sense of community. All those things require our brain to use many different parts of the brain. And so in order to use those executive functions efficiently, we need to be able to deliver a ton of oxygen, a ton of energy to the brain. And when we eat the wrong things, we, it, our brain has a hard time getting all those things. And so we start to, we start to kind of function off of those primitive response mechanisms again, right? I mean, you can look at very simply our, our kind of 
dependence on money and and having enough money and and having fearing that we don't have enough money to survive so everybody's always or a lot of people are always trying to get as much money as they can and no matter how much money they have it's never enough mm. right um that that alone is is a perfect example of how our brain kind of becomes uh dependent on what we don't know and what we think we need rather than understanding that a sense of community a sense of uh helping each other a sense of being around for each other is what helps a community survive in the long run right and unfortunately i find that in today's society we start to take advantage of people around us rather than trying to work together and knowing that that is going to be the ultimate safety net for us as we get older Absolutely. Um, to circle back to one of your comments for acidity. So it's sometimes it's that we're receiving too much of some things when we're eating dairy products and meat. Yeah. So what happens is when, when our body starts to use protein primarily to, to make uh, energy out of oxygen, we also make acid and the, and everybody's heard this term ketone or keto acids or keto diet. That is what the keto diet is. As we eliminate sugar from the diet, we and we start to eat a heavy amount of protein we start to use that protein primarily for energy production using oxygen and the byproduct of that is ketoacidosis ketones are acids in the body they're byproducts of that met metabolic pathway that breaks down uh, protein in order to get energy into our cells and unfortunately uh, the byproduct is acid and having a, a, an acidic environment in the bloodstream in our in our in our body is very toxic. Every single part of our body functions based on the balance between electrons, right? And, uh, and, and so when, when we're acidic, we actually lack electrons in the body. We're actually st are starving our body of electrons. And electrons are what help our body actually generate energy through the mitochondria, those little tiny, uh, amazing cellular organelles or cellular kind of mechanisms for generating energy in the cells. Now, most of our cells in our body can use protein to get energy out of oxygen. There's one organ system that cannot use protein for energy because protein is not a good source of energy. And the most active, the most energy dependent organ in the body is the brain and the nervous system. We cannot even, we don't even have a mechanism for storing uh, sugar in, in our nervous system because our nervous system depends so much on it. Now, what happens now, how does that all work together? Well, we generally use sugar as the best source of energy. When we burn oxygen and sugar, we get the most energy out of oxygen and the byproduct is carbon dioxide, which we breathe out. Our body actually has to have a certain level of carbon dioxide in order to function properly. But what happens when we have too much protein around is that our body switches to burning that protein instead of sugar. And we're forced to burn that protein because our body doesn't know what to do with it. There's simply too much of it. It's almost like going in a state of starvation. When our body's starving, when we have no food for extended period of time for about two weeks, our body burns through all the sugar first, then it burns through all the fat. And when there's no other energy source left, it starts to destroy our own protein in order to actually convert that protein into sugar so that our brain can continue to function. Wow. So, Sorry, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was sure. going to say, so basically protein saying that it's the best source of energy through meat products. I would say that's what I was taught growing up. So mm -hmm. 
and I would say a fair number of people that I know believe the same way. So that's quite, so it's just not true. It's just not true. Uh, the only thing that uh, anybody who, who, who stands behind animal products can say is that animal products have that complete source of, of the essential building blocks for proteins, those amino acids that we need. Even though that's true, the, 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 the absolute truth is that all those basic amino acids, those building blocks for proteins, I like to call it, I like to call proteins like a string of pearls. And each amino acid is like a pearl on that string. And what happens in our body is as our genetic code makes those, that string of pearls in order to make a functional protein in the body, the, the essential building blocks, those are very important building blocks, amino acids that our body actually needs are used to actually fold the protein, twist the protein and shape the protein in a way that'll make it functional. And everything else in that giant protein is just waste protein. It's just very inefficient, low energy, low quality building blocks, low quality uh, of pearls of, of, on that string. So within an animal protein, within any animal uh, protein, really, what you have is a very small amount of those essential building blocks and a lot, a huge, a huge amount of those uh, non-essential or, or low energy ones. And what our body truly needs are those essential high energy building blocks. So those all come from plants in the first place, right? Um, animals do not make essential uh, amino acids or building blocks for proteins. All essential high energy building blocks for, for life are all made by plants. So animals consume those, they break them down, they degrade the quality of the protein of that, that, that those animals are consuming, transform them, package them back up into a much more complex much more acidic protein. And then we have to unravel that, break it all down, find the ones that we actually need, and then use those to re in order to rebuild our body. Uh, but the truth is when we actually take certain plants and put them together into one meal, we also get that full spectrum of those essential building blocks, those very important pearls on, the, on, that, uh, on that string. And we get those in a much easier way without the burden of that, of all those toxic proteins and, and the, and the non-essential ones that our body ends up just burning through. Now, are there more plant, are there better plants than others or is it For just? Sure. Absolutely. There's there. So, you know, some of the most, uh, some of the most beneficial plants are some of the plants that have the most complete source of, of protein are certain grains, seeds, nuts, ancient grains, beans, legumes, lentils, chickpeas, quinoa is a really good one as well. But, but that's, again, that's not the only thing our body needs. Protein is, is something that I've realized our body has a very, very low dependence on. What our body really does need is a high source of really good sugars and fats and other nutrients, micro minerals. And a lot of those things come from plants. We get, we get a phenomenal source of, of all these amazing uh, nutrients in plants where in animal sources, they lack a lot of times. Iron, iodine, uh, selenium, magnesium, zinc. Uh, those are all microminerals that we get in really rich uh, amounts from plants. And even if you look at you know health food stores and supplements, most of the, most supplements that are that are produced uh, to have a high concentration of all these vitamins and minerals that we need all come from plants. Oh, well, I did not know that. Now, you did say something about sugars, and I kind of want to touch base on that because I know that there's processed sugars and then there's sugars that are in 
food that are natural. And I just want to go a little bit more into like how one plays out in our sex life versus the other. Yeah. So, I mean, sugar is the best source of energy for our body. There's no doubt about it. Hands down. It's been proven clinically, theoretically, um, scientifically that, that if, when we're taking a breath of oxygen and we use sugar to burn that oxygen for energy, we get the most amount of oxygen with the least amount of burden on our body. And, uh, and so, you know, sugar is important. Uh, but when we start to consume processed sugars and sugars in very high concentrations, well, our body automatically starts to store that extra sugar automatically because the truth is we have so such an abundance of sugar in our environment um, that yes, sugar can, can become toxic uh, at a certain level when we consume too much of it. The interesting thing is th there's two ways in which our body stores sugar. Uh, one is called glycogen, which is a giant molecule that's made up of tiny little sugar molecules attached to one another. And, and those are, and that storage method occurs inside cells. And then the other way, the, the other way in which we store sugar is in fat cells. The, the backbone of every fat molecule that we store in our body, the triglycerides, uh, the backbone of every triglyceride is half a sugar, half a glucose. So our body, when we're starving for sugar, and that's why the keto diet is so effective at losing weight is because as we're starving the body for sugar, our body starts to pull sugar out of anywhere it can in order to maintain that level of sugar for our nervous system function. One of, one of the misconceptions about sugar or in diabetes especially is that uh, you know we're having we have too much sugar, we got to eliminate sugar, eliminate carbs, eliminate you know sweet things, eliminate fruit and other things that are high in sugar, even naturally. Uh, we're told to kind of minimize or, or get rid of altogether. But the truth is that when we're consuming heavy protein and our body switches to burning that protein for energy instead of the sugar, that's when that sugar overload really takes place. That's, that's when we start to store the sugar all over our body from one day to the next, from one day to the next, until our body starts to spill that sugar about into the, back into the bloodstream. And, uh, and how does sugar and, and diabetes affect our sexual function? So if we have a really high concentration of sugar in our bloodstream, uh, because our body is forced to burn the protein instead of the sugar, sugar can actually become very toxic in our bloodstream. Um, it, can, it can actually disrupt blood vessels. And one of the most common symptoms of, of having too much sugar in the bloodstream is peripheral neuropathy or, or pins and needles sensation, loss of sensation in the legs. The furthest reaches of our body start to become damaged first because those nerves in our body have the, the lowest blood supply, the, the finest blood supply, the hardest time getting nutrients and oxygen. And so as we start to destroy those tiny little arteries that supply the nervous system, we start to lose sensation in our feet. And people with diabetes often have problems with getting an injury and not realizing they even have an injury because they no longer have sensation in the foot. And then that becomes a problem because it doesn't heal, it becomes infected before they realize that there's an issue there. And then you have uh, further complications of that. But every single blood vessel in the body starts to become negatively affected by this chronic, you know, uh, high level of sugar in the body, including uh, erectile function. Erectile function, our, our penis is literally just a giant blood vessel in the body. And, uh, and most diabetics will have some decline in their erectile function because of that toxic environment that they're constantly putting their body through. The amazing thing is, if we actually focus on a whole plant-based nutrition, 
we're forcing our body to start burning the sugar for energy primarily because our protein intake drops so much. Uh, so as now our body is focused more on burning the sugar for energy, we start to get rid of the sugar in our body. So as long as we're eating healthy food, as long as we're eating whole plant-based food, plant-based diet will actually help eliminate diabetes. So you can actually, if you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes specifically, if you stop eating animal products and focus on a whole plant-based nutrition, you will no longer be diabetic within a few weeks. Within a few weeks? Within a few weeks, your blood sugar levels will start to drop so much that you actually have to stop taking medication. And I know this is a very difficult thing to say, and most doctors are terrified by this idea. Um, and a lot of doctors will tell people to continue taking their medication. But what happens is because our sugar load in the body has dropped so much because we're actually using the sugar for energy, the medication starts to have the opposite effect in our body and actually take too much sugar away from our bloodstream, which can become detrimental to our nervous system. Uh, we know that, you know, most people know that within two minutes of not having oxygen in the body, we can die, right? Our nervous system requires so much oxygen that we can die within a few minutes of not having oxygen. But the flip side of that is that our body can also die really quickly if we don't have sugar in the body, right? Because our brain literally depends on sugar, water, and oxygen to make all the energy for its daily function. Our nervous system, our brain is so metabolically and energetically active that we actually produce most of the heat in our body in our brain. We actually, you know, you've heard the story where if you put, you know, in the wintertime, put on a hat because that's where you lose most of your heat. That's because our brain is so active. It has so much circulation, so much blood flow in it that, that it actually produces a lot of that heat inside the, inside the brain. And, and so again, like if we, if we don't have enough oxygen, we can quickly die. If we don't have enough sugar, same thing can happen. And that's why I've always had this, uh, it was always very counterintuitive to 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 give people medication for diabetes especially when we need that sugar to live and so what often happens is when people start taking lots of medication for diabetes they have crazy cravings for sugar and they crave sugar and they want to eat sweets and they want to eat candy and they want to eat a bunch of junk and that actually makes the problem worse because now you're putting more and more sugar in the body the medication is trying to push that sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells and into the storage unit and you continue to use the wrong energy source, protein, in order for every cell to function. And you're constantly just storing, storing sugar. So it becomes this really chaotic, really nasty cycle that we cannot get out of unless we really take a step back and, and look at what, you know, what's important in life, right? It's easy to just kind of throw medications at everything and, uh, and hope things go well. But the truth is that there's so much more to our body and how it works. And medications are really just a Band-Aid effect. And so if anybody who's diabetic ever wants to go and try plant-based food in order to improve their overall health, one of the most critical things to do is to have that conversation with their family physician, make sure that their family's physician understands that they're making changes in their nutrition that will literally start dropping their blood sugar level. And then work with their physician to make sure that they can wean off or at least decrease the, the amount of medications they take uh, within a very short period of time understanding that in, in short spans, it's okay to have slightly higher blood sugar levels than sugar levels that are too low. Our body can survive, even if it's a toxic environment slightly for a short period of time, when our blood sugar levels are a little bit too high. But when our blood, level, blood sugar levels drop too low, that's like the end. 
the line. So it's it's very it's a very scary situation, and I definitely suggest that everybody who wants to have a chance at, at getting rid of diabetes in their in their body as a and stay healthy throughout their lives really pays attention to how they do that and make sure that they get guidance from someone who can help them through that process because it is very dangerous to continue to take medication and go on a whole plant-based diet when you're diabetic. That is super, super important. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I feel like there's a lot of misconception then about sugar. I feel like I've been told that it's really bad for you and just don't have any. And I, and that is processed sugar. I feel like when we're talking about this, are we, we, there's a separate difference between processed sugar and cane sugar and things like that, or is this just across the board? So processed sugars include, you know, high fructose corn syrup, for example, fructose, there's, there's different types. There's a ton of different types of sugars. There's lactose, fructose, glucose, galactose, sucralose, sucrose, and, and some of those are disaccharides where it's, you know, simple sugars attached together to, to form kind of like a doublet. But when it comes to, for example, high fructose corn syrup, what they do is they, they pull sugar out of plants and concentrate it. And when we have a high amount of fructose, our body doesn't actually use it as efficiently as it does glucose. We get just a little bit less energy from fructose and fructose can be much more easily converted to fat. So it's important to, to make sure that, yeah, of course, we don't eat concentrated sugar. That's always a bad idea. Our body is very efficient. Our body is amazing at taking the things we put inside of it and either using it as we need it for energy or storing it for later. So even we can be, you know, people can be, uh, can consume a whole plant-based nutrition and still deal with excess sugar in the body, right? Our body is that good at, uh, at taking sugar out and using it and storing it. So even obesity is, uh, is not a disease by itself. It's not a disorder. It's not even a problem because having extra fat in the body is literally just having extra storage for energy. That's it right? It's the, it's the destruction of our vascular system, the destruction of our, of our cellular system that, that is more, more dangerous to, and, and more important to focus on as we're trying to lose weight or as we're trying to stay healthy. And, and again, when, when it comes to how our body functions, the met, 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 metabolism, the, the most important thing is understanding that our body does not depend on protein as much as we think we do. Our body yeah, it, is phenomenally efficient at actually reusing proteins that we break down and, and actually rebuilding things based on what's already in there. So our need for protein is much lower than, than what we are always meant to believe. That's tremendous news. Like I, I feel like some people can feel it too. When they eat so much animal product, they feel heavy and tired and it's kind of, Loaded. I would assume hard on the digestive system and mm -hmm. everything to kind of go through. So yeah, it makes sense when you actually feel that. And, and to add to that, you got to imagine that aside from the protein itself, that becomes very toxic for, for our entire body as we consume too much of it really quickly because one we have especially people who come from uh from a southern climate people who never went through the 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 mutations the genetic adaptation to survive in a northern climate right they start start suffering from excess protein uh, damage in the body very quickly so kidney disease alzheimer's dementias depression all those things are kind of there's, there's so many different protein related uh, diseases in the body so Northern people who, who, who evolved in a Northern climate were kind of 
were forced to adapt to survive in those northern climates, which included, unfortunately, consuming animal products to survive. Um, as we're going through an ice age or as we're going through a winter or, or a drought or an, a time where, where we just don't have the, the plant sources of nutrition that we need, we were forced to consume animals and survive. And our bodies ended up going through an adaptive process that, that helped us stave off the negative effects of that consumption until we're done with our procreative age. That's why most Caucasians, most, most people who, who have adapted to uh, eating a North American or, or Northern diet seem to do pretty well and seem to feel pretty well and seem to look pretty well until they get into their 40s and 50s and 60s. And that's when everything hits the fan. Okay, so right? this is like a delayed um, thing that would show up. It's, it's the same destructive processes going on in the body, but the body's just evolved a slightly better way of, of dealing with all that damage. That's all, including our hemoglobin. So there's a lot of studies or a lot of studies. There's, there's this talk about eating for your blood type, right? But the blood type, our blood type has literally evolved with our migration patterns. That's it. And our, our hemoglobin becomes better at carrying oxygen under stress situations, under stress conditions. One thing that affects our vascular system is when, when our body's in an acidic environment, when we're eating all these proteins and producing all these ketones, we actually release oxygen from, from our blood cells much more easily. And we were always taught that this was great. Well, if you release oxygen more easily, that means your body's getting more oxygen more effectively, right? But the truth is that again, even though, even though the large, medium and small arteries are only 10% of our vascular system, our blood, our hemoglobin, our red blood cells spend 90% of their time traveling through those large, medium and small arteries. Right. So, and that's where most of the damage oxidative stress, we're always, we always talk about making sure we take antioxidants and uh, right. And making sure that we, we keep our vascular health by, by taking all these antioxidants. And that's because when, when our body's acidic, we're releasing oxygen in those large, medium and small arteries. And that oxygen actually starts to cause damage because oxygen is a very powerful molecule. It's actually oxygen attached to another oxygen atom. So it's a, it's an O2 molecule. And, and when, and oxygen has a very powerful way of pulling electrons away from the body. So when oxygen is released, it causes oxidative stress. It's kind of like when oxygen destroys iron, right? And you have rust. Mm. Oxygen is that powerful that, that it can actually start to disrupt our, our, our vascular system and cause damage to it. And so we have uh, the added issue that we have to deal with in our body is inflammation, swelling. We have this, everybody's chronically inflamed. Everybody's taking anti-inflammatory pills. Everybody's taking, you know, pain pills and, and Robaxacet and things like that. Uh, all these things are meant to help our immune system quiet down. But the unfortunate thing is that when we're taking all these medications, we're also disrupting how our body heals because our immune system is an integral part of our body's capacity to fix itself. When we get an injury, our immune system goes into the area, washes out old broken tissue, old fibrous tissue, connective tissue, um, old blood vessels that are no longer working, and starts to, and our body starts to replace those those things with the properly functioning tissues that are supposed to be there. So when we're chronically inflamed and we're taking all these anti-inflammatory medications, our body cannot go through that process efficiently. The way I like to look at our, our immune system and the the whole chronic inflammation that everybody's dealing with all the time is to imagine when we're consuming a lot of animal products that our body is kind of like in World War II, 
Everybody's sitting in the trenches with their finger on the trigger, just waiting for something to go off. A branch breaks, a, a rock falls, and everybody starts firing. All hell breaks loose. Mm. And, and you have this really disorganized kind of chaotic environment that occurs in the body. And when, when we're actually consuming whole plant-based food, our immune system is in such good health and is so quiet. It's, there's actually a lot of studies that prove that uh, when we're eating whole plant-based food, uh, we have lower amounts of white blood cells. We have lower amounts of red blood cells. Our immune system is much more quiet. So I like to compare that to you know, the American army, the American uh, military system, where when, when something goes wrong or something bad happens, we send out a specialized squad, it deals with the problem, Everybody comes back home and relaxes and, and, and does their thing. And that's what our body's supposed to do. Our body's supposed to be very calm. Our immune system's supposed to be very quiet unless something happens. Because as soon as we get an injury or an infection, that part of your body sends chemical signals throughout your whole body to wake up the immune system. And that doesn't happen efficiently or effectively when we're consuming animal products because our body's constantly inflamed and constantly under this immune stress. Well, I was going to say to your point about inflamed, I was doing some research and the seed oils that we have out on the market is a huge reason that I saw why people are inflamed because they're not really real oils. Like olive oil is okay for you. Coconut oil is okay for you, but sunflower oil, like the one, the cheap stuff that comes in the big giant stuff for $10, it might be cheap, but that's, I saw that that is like a huge reason why people are so inflamed. Yeah. So that's, you know, so that's, that's another question. Obviously, our body doesn't depend on these high amounts of oil, for sure. So whenever you're cooking, you should always minimize how much oil you use because our body generally gets enough anyway, gets enough of those fats anyway. We get enough of those natural fats from, from the real food, from the, from the grains, from the seeds, from the nuts. We can get those oils from those things directly. So there might be some logic and reason to why you know heavy oils can, can cause inflammation. But one thing you have to understand is that when people consume oils, they're usually consuming them with animal products. Mm. They're cooking animal products. And so it's easy to say, oh, it's the, it's the oil, not the animal that we're, that we're actually, that's actually causing that, that destructive process in our body, right? Um, that's why it's so difficult to look at clinical studies and research and figure out what, what the actual problem is. I can guarantee you with almost a 100% certainty that these studies that, that identify plant-based oils as being dangerous and pro-inflammatory do not actually look at people with a whole, that eat a whole plant-based diet. I guarantee you that everybody's, every single person in that study was on at least an omnivore, if not a mainly carnivore diet. Mm. Um, and so it's easy, it's easy to, and that's how biases is formed. That's how, that's how bias, that's how clinical studies and, and media take information and twist it and make it look like it's something it's not because no matter what your conclusion is within a study, the most important thing to pay attention to are the biases and, and omitting biases within that study. Most studies, I, I don't, most studies about diabetes, uh, to be honest, every study about diabetes lacks a control group with plant-based nutrition. I have never seen a single study on diabetes, clinical study, funded study, whether it's a cohort, whether it's a case control, I've never seen a single clinical study that looks at nutrition, whole plant-based nutrition versus animal products as a, as, a, as a baseline for understanding diabetes. Because I can guarantee you that as soon as you put people on a plant-based diet, they will no longer be diabetic, right? And so, and so how do you find out what diabetes is if you can't even look 
at at both sides of that story and, and find out what's what's actually happening. Well, it sounds like the meat industry is definitely involved in this because I feel like with the meat and dairy industry, they're just they're the amount of money that they have and that they would lose by this type of information. I believe in all of that jazz. Like if they can find a way to make themselves look better, it's like the cigarette companies that were like, no, we don't get cancer. It's kind of the same way. (laughs) That's where that playbook came from. The tobacco industry is the one that really came up with that playbook in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, but the other side of that too, is that animal products are addictive at the end of the day. Uh, Hmm. There's a real addictive component to us consuming those things Part of it might be as a survival mechanism, you know, um, when we don't have enough food to, to survive off from plants, we have to chase something down and eat it and kill it and eat it. And if we, if we didn't have that lust for it, then we might not survive in a, in a, in a tough environment where we don't have a rich plant-based food around. So, so there's definitely a component of that. You know, we have to think about when we consume animal products, how, much, how many hormones there are that we're also consuming stress hormones along with uh, sex hormones, right? Estrogen. Most animals that we eat are female. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so you have to understand that those, those, that animal, those those meats or the, those products will most likely have a higher level of estrogen. Dairy, for example, uh, in order to continue, in, in order to have a cow continuously produce milk, you have to maintain a certain hormonal balance in that cow in order for that cow to continue producing milk. Mm. And so those hormones end up in the milk and we end up consuming those hormones through the milk. For example, babies who consume breast milk from mother, for example, have withdrawal bleeding after they get off of uh, drinking milk. Withdrawal right? bleeding. Because, so, so when the, the female system goes through those hormonal changes throughout their monthly cycle, we have higher levels of estrogen that build up throughout the month. And then when you reach a certain level, they drop off and then progesterone starts being produced. Mm. The progesterone is what releases is, is part of what releases the, or is part of the process where the, the egg is released and ready for, for getting ready for fertilization. And if that egg is not fertilized, the, the egg is the one that produces the progesterone. And when that egg is not fertilized or, or escapes the, the uterus, then we, the progesterone levels drop and the estrogen starts to pick up again. Right. So when 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 babies are drinking, when female babies are drinking breast milk, um, they actually have a little bit of like a bleeding afterwards, because if the egg is not fertilized and of course, obviously, babies can uh, aren't evolved and, and mature enough, but the, they still have a uterus. They still have all those female components. So there's a little bit of bleeding involved because the, the, the body just kind of gets rid of any little bit of uh, extra endometrial uh, tissue that might be kicking around as those hormonal changes take place. Right. Um, so, so that's a natural thing. It's not a bad, it's not a bad thing. It totally happens naturally in, 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 in our, in, in our evolution as we grow. Um, and as we get off of breast milk, but it's easy to see how consuming excessive amounts of estrogen can actually lead to heavier periods. If you're producing, cause estrogen, what happens is when we're producing estrogen in the body, we start to create a thicker pillow for the, for the egg to, to sit on inside the uterus. Right. When we start to produce blood vessels inside the uterus, we start to create increase more tissue inside the uterus. And, and naturally, that's meant to create an environment for the egg to stick to and actually produce life when it's fertilized. But if we're consuming excessive amounts of estrogen, then that process kind of starts to become hectic. It becomes excessive. Um, and that's why women a lot of times get really heavy periods and have a lot of 
uh, hormonal issues associated with heavy periods. And with so many issues coming out around periods, I feel like with the intake of the food that we're having, there's clearly a bridge here between the two. It sounds like with, cause I, I was talking to somebody and they were saying like, there's PMMD and there's like, people are experiencing more painful periods. And I've, mm-hmm. from my research, it's not actually supposed to be painful at all. Like it's supposed to be manageable. So it's what we're putting into our bodies that is affecting that pain level throughout the entire course of the month. Yeah. I mean, uh, you gotta, you gotta imagine that if your uterus is only designed to produce a certain amount of those extra blood vessels before they slough off and, and come out during the period, if we're, if we're producing excessive amounts of those blood vessels and all those tissues inside the uterus to while, while those estrogen levels are really high, then you got to imagine that it's going to be much more difficult for our body to get rid of all that extra tissue and all those extra little blood vessels that it doesn't need anymore, mm. right? Those blood vessels start to become thicker, heavier, harder, where they have a harder time closing up and, and going back to a dormant state while the cycle starts over again, right? So Absolutely. There's a, there's a very, there, there's a very serious link there. And I'm, I'm not sure it's even studied very well, but it definitely exists. I, yeah, I, absolutely. Based on, based on my, based on medical logic alone, uh, you have to appreciate the fact that, that there has to be a relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. And just the swift change of it, I think it's all in the relatively recent, I guess, few years or like decades where we were eating one way and then with all types of processed foods entering the market and things like that, it definitely affects. And you're right about the hormones on, on cows and everything. Cause I'd say, I think people don't realize that those cows are getting as many injections as they would like to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Along with antibiotics and other things that end up in the milk too. Right. I mean, everything that that cow's getting fed and, 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 and poked with and, and fed with ends up in the milk. Yeah. Right. That's not, that's not something you can clean out that easily or clear out. Uh, so, and, you know, and then again, there's uh there's the, the cow milk in itself is designed to help a baby cow grow and like exponentially over a very short period of time. Mm. So it's, it's got a way higher protein content. Those proteins are much different than the proteins in, in, in human breast milk. And it's absolutely toxic for the body. Absolutely. I'm not even sure if our body is able to break down those proteins effectively and we might just end up kind of just shoving those proteins throughout our body and and you know throughout the in between the vessels and between between the cells and in random places throughout our body we there's a good chance that uh that we store and, and kind of accumulate protein throughout our lives it becomes actually very toxic so uh, alzheimer's disease and uh, for example it was was classically thought to be believed as a, as a vascular problem but then we started looking at it more closely and realized that we actually start to deposit protein and we have these protein deposits in the brain that interfere with proper nutrient and metabolic function of the brain. And that's a serious uh, problem that I might feel is maybe related closely to, to uh, uh, dairy and animal consumption for sure. Absolutely. Aside. Yeah. Well, just to re um, go back to what types of foods are good with sugars. I was going to ask if you could give a couple of examples of foods with good sugars. For sure, it's important to know. Um, the most important uh, sources of sugar are found in natural plants, in plants, right? If we if we consume a whole constellation of different plants from different food groups, then we get all the sugars we need. Is and it our something body like the way it should? 
Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I've heard things like, oh, the brighter the color means this and leafy greens mean those. Does that apply when it comes to sugar content as well within the food? Well, interestingly enough, our, our body actually evolved and, and uh, you know, our, our eyes evolved and, and are designed to actually appreciate color in food, plants. And, and that's actually been a big part of why we've been able to become so, so effectively uh, the, you know, the most uh, abundant species in this world. We, we were able to actually see food and see plants and see the colors in, in the food that is best for us. So yeah, absolutely. The more colorful your food is, the more likely you are to get all the nutrients, not just sugar, right? Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, as long as we're combining grains and seeds, nuts, rice, potatoes, starches, natural sources of carbohydrates, those are great sources of energy for our body. Um, most athletes will tell you that the best thing to eat before a sporting event or some sort of strenuous exercise or competition is high carb. Because our body uses that sugar for energy very actively. And we, and we use a ton of sugar, especially when we're very active. Um, and in part to actually perform the activity, but also to help the body rebuild afterwards. Wow. Now, when it comes to nutrition and, and sex specifically, there's foods that are aphrodisiacs. And do you have any recommendations of like foods that are better for our sex life or sex drive versus ones that just kind of suck that energy out of us? Honestly, I feel like the, you know, it's easy to kind of look at foods that are aphrodisiacs. I don't like to look at nutrition from like, this is good for us, or this is better for us, or that's bad or better for us. As soon as we start consuming a whole plant-based nutrition, our body itself starts to feel like it's in a rich environment for procreation. For making life right so as soon as as soon as we start consuming a whole plant-based diet that's got a whole combination of all those amazing uh sources of foods I, I like to i like to separate food into eight food groups first would be grain seeds and nuts uh, then we have root vegetables grains colorful veggies then there's the uh, fruit the green leafy veggies fermented foods which are also great and have huge probiotic kind of flora for our body and fungi uh, as soon as we start consuming all those different types of foods within, you know, especially within a week, within a month, as soon as, as long as we were constantly uh, turning over and changing what we eat uh, to make sure that we kind of switch it up and then get the most out of our, uh, out of our food. The, the one thing being that if we're constantly just eating one thing, we may be missing on some of those specific nutrients that our body needs. So it's important to kind of mix it up, have foods from different cultures, have foods from different <clears throat> food groups and, and always combine things in different ways. And, uh, and that's when our body starts to gain the environment that's perfect for making life. You become more sexually uh, aroused. You become more sexually active. You become much more efficient and effective in, in, the, in bed as well. Men's erectile function completely changes simply just, on, just based on food alone. When we, when we start to eat a whole plant-based diet, our erections start to improve simply because we're actually using that energy more effectively in our body. So yeah, you know, aphrodisiacs, there might be some foods in there. I never really focused on that because as soon as we start eating whole plant-based food, our body has everything it needs and we become much more effective, effective and, and start to enjoy our, our sexual interactions much more. Which is really the end goal is to have it long-term over the long span of your entire life to have the energy, not just in these like small bursts, I guess you could say. Well, that's it. And you know, the funny thing is, you know, um, I started 
my space, my, my regenerative therapeutics Institute, because I wanted to actually help people understand that it's easy to say, well, you know, we could fix your, uh, your vascular function using this amazing technology that we have, but nobody seems to actually educate people about what causes it to fall apart in the first place. Mm. And, and no matter what you do to the body, no matter what kind of intervention you throw at the body or what, what kind of medication you throw at the body, as soon as we continue to destroy the vascular system because of the food we eat, then you're still looking at like a very complicated health uh, crisis throughout your life sooner or later, everybody's going to suffer from something. Right. So helping people understand how to keep the entire vascular system healthy. And I mean, I, I focus on men's health and, and, uh, and, and the biggest, most important blood vessel for men, which is our penis. But if we, you know, even if we fix that, even if we apply the technology there and get that part of the body to fix itself and heal and, and regenerate and build new blood vessels and regain all that function we may have lost and, and, and start to function like we used to when we were younger, inevitably, if we continue destroying our body in the ways we do, that as well is going to go away. So that's why one of my focus, that's why my focus here is to actually make sure that we understand how to keep our body healthy throughout our lives and help our body heal and recover and start to rebuild itself and regain the function that we may have lost in the past through nutrition specifically. Right. Well, also Um, that the nutrition that you have in your twenties in your teenage years, I guess, is going to make the biggest impact on how you grow into your forties and fifties, sixties and long-term and people, one biggest key, key takeaway is that keto diet is also just any other fad diet. And we all know that fad diets don't work and they're not good for you, but somehow this one has positioned itself as we are not just like the other fad diets. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, and it's easy to do because again, we have this predilection for animal products, right? I mean, we glutton ourselves on it all the time. We have this addictive, there's, there's that addictive component to it that, that drives us to continue eating it. So it's a really easy, very convenient solution to our problem, starving the body of sugar while consuming a ton of protein. But again, when, when everybody's talking about these keto diets, nobody mentions the, the effect of cholesterol in your body, the effect of these, all these other hormones in your body. And I've, I've seen firsthand people coming in with being on a keto diet for over a year and all of a sudden their erectile function completely deteriorated mm. at a very young age. The gentleman I had was 30 years old and he came in, he said like he's been keto for like a year and everything just kind of started hitting rock bottom. And, and exactly, that's exactly what happens. So your body, first of all, starts to pull every part of the body it can to get the sugar out, which is, which is not a good environment to be in. And then you're putting all this other, all these other toxic things throughout your, your metabolism, throughout your body that, that end up destroying your, your vascular health and, and, and our erectile function uh, in a very, very dramatic and very quick way. So I, I definitely recommend that nobody go on a, on a hardcore keto diet because it is absolutely destructive for the human body. Wow. That is, more people need to know this. I'm, I'm glad that we had this conversation for sure. And I feel like I learned a lot between the difference of protein and sugars and that it's actually reversed almost of how we've been taught. And it comes down to, yeah, just kind of unlearning what we've been taught about nutrition or just gaining information about nutrition in general, because as much as it affects your sexual health, it's for your entire health. That is the whole goal here. It's your entire life, not just your health. It's your life that we're talking about. You know, everybody says, well, I don't want to live forever. It's not about living forever. It's about having the quality of life Mm. up until the time that it's, you know, it's time, your time to go. It's easy to say, oh, well, everybody gets older, everybody falls apart, and that's just kind of how it is. 
but you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe we, there, there are people out there who are healthy and active and full of vigor and, and have a, a good mind on their shoulders well into their hundreds, like well into their nineties and hundreds. There are a few, you know, there, it happens. We've seen these people, but when we, when we, when we ask them what they're doing and how they're doing things, you know, we don't pay attention to that as, and, and ignore how important that is. Uh, and like I said, it's really easy to, to reach a lower baseline of function and assume that you're still just as good as you were when you were younger. But the truth is that as we consume these things, as we destroy our health, we are no longer the person we used to be. We are, we are, we become a lesser version of ourselves. And the, the beautiful thing about whole plant-based food is we can actually regain the capacity to function at our optimal level, no matter how old we are, we can still regain the mental capacity the, the 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 energy levels in our body to actually keep going now once we start to lay down scar tissue throughout the whole body as we start to destroy all these tiny little blood vessels throughout our body and we start to lay down scar tissue sometimes our body just accepts that as as part of who we are mm-hmm. and uh and that's where shockwave therapy comes in that's where uh this this revolutionary technology that breaks up scar tissue and improves circulation can actually help your body uh, regain function and and optimize the, the, the health of every tissue that we're, you know, where we apply this technology. But again, you know, it, it's easy to say, well, you own a company, you want to get as much money as you can from the clients that you bring in. So why would I tell everybody about nutrition? Because if anything, it's only going to take away from my clients, right? It's going to take away from my, my final bottom line, but I didn't get into medicine to make money. I got into medicine to actually help people and to make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate thing is that many of these companies that provide shockwave therapy will never discuss nutrition, will never discuss the effect of our entire vascular system on how, how we function. And it's easy to say, well, if you don't, if it doesn't work, we'll just sign you up for more sessions or we'll, we'll put you on medication or we'll just go down the, the classic uh, pathway of, of medical intervention. Right. Um, but I feel that as long as I give people the right information about how to stay healthy for the rest of their lives, one, I'll be able to sleep at night. And I know that that will, you know, in itself transition to, to having people who want to want to have the same in their lives. Right. And the more people I can help, the better I'm going to feel. So it's not about holding on to those few patients and keeping them on the hook. It's about getting them out the door so I can get somebody else and help them out as well. Right. Absolutely. I love what you do and I appreciate it. And I appreciate that you don't gatekeep on information. I feel like when it comes to nutrition and health, sex ed, all these things that help us holistically and using elements of, I guess, the universe around us, not a lot of people want to share that, it seems, because there's just more money elsewhere. But I appreciate your work and I would love to remind viewers and listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so they can find me in Ajax. Uh, my company is called Phoenix RTI Regenerative Therapeutics Institute. Uh, we're at uh, Salem Road, just south of the 401. And again, we focus on helping people understand what our vascular health, what our body is made of, how it works, why it works, and how to stay healthy throughout our lives. And we apply shockwave therapy to get our body functioning as quickly as possible and get us back to, to doing the things we love as quickly as possible. So you can give us a call at uh, 647-533-3565. Visit us on Instagram, uh, PhoenixRTI. And uh, keep, uh, keep looking out for more information about health and, and how, to, how to be the best people we can be as we get older. Well, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show again. And for our listeners, as always, we'll see you next week. And stay kinky.